Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We are going through uh, the book of Luke. Uh, we're talking uh, about red letters, and this is the series that, that we're on. And uh, today we're in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to begin uh, in verse 1. And actually we're going to try to get through the first 11 verses, which I think we should be able to do here today. Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we thank you that we have the opportunity to, to study your word. We thank you for this wonderful church, this great group of people that's here today. Lord, help us to learn your word today. Something that we can learn, that we can apply to our life and our heart that can make us be a better follower of you, a better disciple, disciplined follower of Jesus. We give you praise for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Here we go. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that Jesus went through the cornfields and His disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in uh, His hands. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Go to the next slide there, Luke. There we go. Oh, well... Yeah, there we go. There we go. He'll get it. This is his first time doing it. This is easier than a video game, Luke. So you can do it. All right. Okay. <laughs> and certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this, that David, what David did, when himself was hungered, and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God and did take and eat the shewbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And then uh, we'll read verses uh, 6 through 11 later on. I want to talk to you for just a little bit about the Sabbath, about the Sabbath. A lot of people, they'll come to us sometimes and they'll say, you know, I've, I actually had this question posed to me week before last. They said, how come you don't have church on the Sabbath day? Because Sabbath is Saturday. And so they asked me that question. And so I told them, I said, well, because Sabbath is the day of rest, number one, which is what God's Word teaches us. The Bible said six days God labored and the seventh He rested. When you are learning, you should not be resting. You should be working to learn. You should, I mean... See what I'm saying? Also, Sabbath was under the old law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus finished the law. He filled it up. The New Testament church met the first day of the week. First day of the week, which is Sunday. That's, that's when they met. Why did they meet on the first day of the week? It goes along with the principle of first fruits. God's Word teaches us that we are to give God the first and the very best of everything that we have. And so the first morning of the first day of every week, we give God that in worship. And when we do that, we are giving God the first fruits of that week. And as is true to God and true to His nature, as we do that, when we go on, as we do that, then God's Word teaches us that God will bless us because there is a blessing that comes from the first fruits. Now, I think that every single day we should serve God. It's like uh, I had somebody the other day, they were talking to me, and I shared it with uh, Connie McDonald yesterday. 
there's a, a guy over in Jamaica, and he said, oh, we don't, we don't have services. We don't have traditional church services like on Sunday or on Saturday or something like that. He said, we just serve God every day insinuating that we don't serve God every day. We just serve God maybe on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday. Well, I'll tell you something. I serve God every day, 365 days. Here's, here's what the Bible said. If you want to get technical, they met the first day of the week in the New Testament, and then every day after that, they would gather at someone's home, and the Bible said they would break bread, and they would have communion, and they would eat their meat with singleness and gladness of heart. They would sing to one another psalms and hymns, singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. In fact, they were receiving communion every single day. The early church, the New Testament church, was receiving communion every single day. And that's where in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when the Bible tells us that we should not receive the cup of the Lord unworthily, what it's talking about is they were literally receiving communion with real wine and there were some that really wanted to make sure that they remembered the sacrifice of Jesus. So they just kept receiving and kept receiving until they got themselves inebriated. And so, so worship parties became drunken parties and then that's when the apostle to the Corinthian church, which was a church that was a mess that was always needing correction. And so that's why the apostle told them, he said, listen, he said, when you receive the cup of the Lord, do not receive it unworthily. It's not talking about whether there's sin in your life. It's talking about whether you're not reverencing communion whether you're not reverencing. See, it's, it's, communion is holy. Communion is sacred. So they would do that. They would sing. They would make melody. They would praise the Lord. They would have communion every single day of the week. But they particularly would not work on the first day of the week and would gather together on the first day of the week. And that was the difference between those that were, that were adhering to the law and those that were embracing Christianity. That was the stark difference in the days of Jesus. Oh, you're a Christian, so maybe you can go ahead and go to the, to the tabernacle and to the synagogue on, on, on Saturday if you want to, and you can learn the Torah, and you can learn things like that. But really what we want you to do is let's come on Sunday morning and let's talk about Jesus. Let's learn things about Jesus. Let's pay attention to the teachings of Jesus. And so you could go Saturday and learn about the law, which was filled up, finished, Jesus satisfied the law. And then you could go Sunday and you could learn about Jesus. And so that's what happened to the church. And that's the Bible said they were first called Christians at Antioch or Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to kind of expound a little bit on why we as Protestants gather together on Sunday instead of Saturday. I just felt in my spirit that I needed to kind of share that with you. So when that question comes up and you're talking to people, you can just explain to them, we don't have anything you know, we don't see anything wrong with worshiping on Saturday because we're going to worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday also. But Sunday is going to be the Lord's day for us. And that's the day that we're going to worship the Lord. And that's the day we're going to gather together. We're going to offer to God. This is key. We're going to offer to God the first fruits of the week. And we're going to ask God as we tithe of that time and offer the first fruits to the Lord, we're going to ask the Lord to bless the rest of the week. And so that's why we meet on Sunday. Turn around and high five your neighbor and say, glad that's cleared up. Tell them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today I want us to look at two examples 
I want us to look at two examples um, of, of Jesus. Uh, you're just going to have to kind of flip through here, uh, Luke. I'm not going to be able to tell you because I'm going to get going here. And uh, maybe you, Luke, 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 it don't have a brain. It can't be stupid. Here, let's see. Uh, you, want me to, you want me to do it, Luke? Look, I can just, there we go. Just leave it right there. Leave it right there. All right. Today, I want us to look at two real-life examples here in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I want us to look at how Jesus teaches us. You see, let me put it, let me put it like this. I, I really don't want to go down this road too far. But the people that you have to, you have to kind of take yourself and put yourself back in the time where Jesus was. Jesus was talking to people whose entire life was adherence to the law of Moses. So many people say, well, that's law. That's Old Testament. That's law. No, if it's Old Testament, it doesn't mean it's law. There's like two or three books in the Old Testament that's the law. What about the rest of it? But Jesus was talking to people who were adhering to the law of Moses. And so he was talking to people who were were completely consumed with you should only take you shouldn't take any more than so many steps on the Sabbath day. There's things you shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. You shouldn't wash dishes on the Sabbath day. You shouldn't cook your food on the Sabbath day. Jesus was talking to people who were ultra conservative. There was no liberality in them whatsoever. In fact, there was no common sense in them whatsoever. No common sense. And so Jesus was talking to people who were just completely adhering to the law, Pharisees and Sadducees. And so here they are, they're talking to Jesus, and the Bible said that they look at Jesus and they said, it's, is it lawful for your, for your disciples to walk through the field and to pluck corn on the Sabbath day and to rub it together and to eat it? Now, what was wrong with that? What was wrong with that? I mean, they got hungry. They're walking through and they got hungry. What was wrong with that? The Pharisees were finding fault with the work aspect of it because the plucking of the corn was symbolic of the work of harvest and the rubbing it together was symbolic of the work of threshing. And so what the Pharisees were trying to do because they were jealous of Jesus and the crowds that he had and they were jealous of the fact that he could confound them with his words even at 12 years old confounding the doctors of the law with his words. They were jealous of all of that and so they were always looking for a reason to back Jesus into a corner and to prove that he was not adhering to the law of Moses. Therefore they could discredit him and tell everybody don't follow Jesus he's a heretic. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to do. And so Jesus looks at them and, and He looks at them and He begins to talk to them out of 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 9 and He talks about how that when David and his men were hungry, they went into the temple and they ate the shoe bread. And that bread was for the priest only. And so he said, were they not supposed to go in there? I mean, they were mighty warriors. They were, they were defending. And so then Jesus looks at them. And these are the kinds of things that always got under the skin of the Pharisees. Jesus looked at them and he said, after he explained all of this, he said, you know, after all, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I wrote it. I can rewrite it if I need to. What does that teach us? Number one, it teaches us that God is in control. Number two, it teaches us that we need to use some common sense. 
Jesus was telling them, he said, you know what? We need to use common sense. He said, here you are. You're finding fault with disciples coming through the field, plucking corn, rubbing it together, and then eating it. And he said, you're finding fault with that. Why? Because you are so law good, you are no grace good. You're so law good, you're no grace good. And that happens in churches today a lot of times. People will come in and they'll say, well, you know what? This is the way that we did it. This is the, and you know, this is how we're supposed to do it. And we're supposed to sing three songs. And don't you sing that song. Oh, I've heard this before. People will say, I don't understand why they sing the same song over and over and over and over. Well, maybe you don't understand it because you're not a worshiper. I'm not throwing stones. I'm trying to enlighten you. Here's what I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to the reason we sing songs over and over and over because sometimes we sense the presence of God moving on that song and we're encouraging people to lift up their hands and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth so God can pour into them what he's prepared for them for that day. Worship opens our heart to the flow of the anointing and it opens our heart to the move of God and it prepares our spiritual man to be to receive the word of God that will be taught or preached. And so when we sense God moving, in particular on a particular song, sometimes we'll sing the chorus again. Sometimes we'll sing the verse again. Sometimes we might sing the whole song again. Why? Because people are engaging in worship and the windows of heaven are beginning to open and we want people to get everything that they can from God. Let me tell you something. Some people say, well, you're kind of more of a new generation church. Let me say this loud and clear. We might be a little bit new generation, you know, and all of this kind of stuff, but we're still a Holy Ghost church. We still believe in the move of God. We still believe in miracles. We still believe that God saves, heals, delivers, sets free, fills with the Holy Ghost, calls to ministry. We still believe that. And we realize that a lot of times that can't be achieved in a 45-minute service. People who don't understand why we want to sing the same song over and over and over again, I want to encourage you to engage in worship. Just begin to worship the Lord when we're doing that. Just begin to lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord and let God take you somewhere you've never been. Let God let let you experience something that you've never experienced before. See, we can get rigid like the Pharisees. And we can say, you know, we're going to just open the service. The pastor's going to get up. He's going to say hello or Pastor Angelo or somebody or Luke or somebody's going to get up here and they're going to try to encourage us. And then we're going to go into a couple of more songs. And then maybe the pastor will get up and pray for a few folks and we'll receive the offering. And then some will receive a spe- some will sing a special song. And then the pastor will get up there and preach. And we'll have a little prayer at the end of it. And then we'll all leave and go down to Applebee's. <laughs> well, listen, we don't need to put God in a box. Canned religion is religion in vain. We're not religious. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, He was saying, use some common sense, man. These guys are hungry. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. God's not going to be offended if you pick some corn and eat it. So what if it looks like harvest? So what if it looks like threshing? They're taking it at that moment and they're eating it. The problem was not in their activity. The problem lie, lay in the spirit of the Pharisees. 
So here's the life application principles that we learn. Number one, God is in control of everything. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Whatever He wants to do, He can do. Because God is God. God is God. He's God over your life. He's God over my life. Number two, God is the final authority in everything. And then I put this down here. I said in today's language, God is the big boss. He's the big man. That's who God is. So God can do whatever He wants to do. You know why? Because He's God. He doesn't have to explain to us. He doesn't have to ask our permission. He doesn't have to let us know He's getting ready to. No, He's God. So here's what we need to do. We need to let God be God and we need to be His children and just follow Him. Whatever God says then that's what we ought to do. Now let's go to the next passage, verses 6 through 11, where Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. See, the man that has the withered hand, you got the Pharisees in the background and you got, uh, you know, somebody drew a picture of Jesus that thinks that he looks like that and so that's what, that's what, that's supposed to depict Jesus. Verse number 6, here's what the Bible says. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. So you see, Jesus was not opposed to going to the Sabbath, going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus did it. Okay? In fact, he went there and he taught, and there was a man who had a withered hand. And the scribes, the writers, and the Pharisees, the enforcers of the law, watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Why? That they might find accusation against him. The basic fundamental problem that the Pharisees had with the disciples, they were now laying over on Jesus because they knew that Jesus walked and healed and taught and they equated healing with work. And so they were trying to find something to accuse Jesus. And the Bible said when he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, whole as the other. And they were filled Filled with madness. What? They had just seen a phenomenal miracle, and instead of saying, wow, that's cool, they're filled with madness. They're angry, and they communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. How are we going to handle this man? <laughs> so, that nasty spirit is still in the earth today. That nasty spirit of constantly trying to find something wrong. These Pharisees and these scribes went to the synagogue to listen to Jesus teach, not to learn something. They went there because they wanted to find something wrong. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus, not Jesus, that Satan, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, 
in that very same passage, the Bible calls Satan a dragon, calls him a serpent, and calls him the accuser of the brethren. So he breathed out fires of threatening, he spews venom, and it comes out as accusation. Anytime that God gets ready to use you to do an exploit for the kingdom of God, Satan is going to do everything in his power to shut you down. My son-in-law looked at me this week. He said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you work your whole life for stuff. He said, you work, you apply yourself. He's talking to me. He said, you've worked, you've applied yourself. He said, you've poured everything that you've got out. And he said, there are people that would just rip it all away from you if they could. I told him, I said, it's the spirit of the age. It doesn't bother me any because I know that if anything ever got ripped away, that God is the restorer of all things. And so I'm not too concerned about that, and I'm not too, I don't sweat, I don't lose sleep over it. I'm, I'm just almost immune to it. If you walked out of here today and started spreading rumors around me, I'd just say, get in line, next. I mean, my goodness, it's just, I'm so immune to it anymore. Here's what I found out. Anytime you're producing for the kingdom of God, and I'm telling you this because a lot of you are either beginning to produce right now or you're on the cusp of beginning to produce. Anytime that you start to produce for the kingdom of God, Satan is going to fight you. He's going to fight you in your health. He's going to fight you in your mind. He's going to fight you through relationships. He's going to fight you through finances. Listen, you need to wear that as a badge of honor. Honor. Why? Because Satan only attacks credible threats. That's why. God is using you. He's pouring His Spirit out through you. Keep your spirit right. Keep your heart right. Ask God to use you. And when God gives you the opportunity, step out there and let Him use you. There's always going to be people in the room who's going to find fault with what you do. Just like they were in the synagogue with Jesus. Here's this man that has the withered hand. He's got this withered hand like this. The disciples, are not the disciples, the Pharisees are gathered together to accuse him. What's he going to do? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? He better not heal on the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? We're gathered together. I can hear the phone calls before that. They have phones back then, but we have to modernize a little. I can hear the phone calls. Where's Jesus going to be? What's, what, what synagogue is he going to be at? Okay, listen, I'm going to meet you there 15 minutes before. We'll get together. We'll have a little powwow out there, and we'll talk about how we're going to trap him today. And so they're gathered together and instead of watching for a miracle, they're watching for something to entrap him. Nasty spirit. Nasty spirit. Jesus knows what their spirit is. So he tells the guy with the withered hand, he said, hey, stand up. Guy's looking around. Me? No, I mean, he's got a withered hand. You know, he's got a withered hand. I, I need to do this to demonstrate. Me? Yes, you. And so he comes up there and, and look at what the Scripture says. The Bible said that he rose up and stood forth in the midst. And then Jesus looks at 
those Pharisees and Sadducees and says, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked around upon them all and said to the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch forth thy hand. And the Bible said he stretched forth his hand and it became whole as the other. Now, there's a couple of things. I want to talk about the operation of faith here in just a moment. But there's a couple of things I want to point out. Number one, the Pharisees' job was to dig out and to burrow out and to destroy factions of heresy that worked in opposition to the law of Moses. So they were finding fault with Jesus for doing His work when they showed up to do their work on the same day. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so Jesus looks at them and here's what Jesus says. He says, is it, is it lawful here on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? So Jesus punches back at them and Jesus backed them in a, backed them in a corner because He knew that they would have to admit that it's okay to do right on the Sabbath day and that it would be wrong to do harm on the Sabbath day. So all of a sudden, they're looking at Jesus and having to agree with Him in front of their supporters of the synagogue that it's okay to do right things on the Sabbath day. And then they also had to agree that it's wrong to do wrong things on the Sabbath day. And so they had to agree that Jesus was right and they were wrong. Jesus backed them into a corner. The people in the synagogue may not have known what was going on, but Jesus was a smart cookie, buddy. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, he knew. He knew what was going on. And so he backs them into a corner and he gets that admission out of them. And so Jesus called their evil practice of plotting or working to kill him on the Sabbath. He called that out. So then Jesus, there's, there's a twofold thing here. There's a twofold thing here with the healing of Jesus. Go ahead. Come on. Let's, let's, let's move on here. There's a twofold thing here. The healing technique that Jesus used required obedience and it required faith. Now, the life principles that we've learned through this before we get into the faith part is that opposition is par for the course. When it comes to accepting, uh, to the acceptance and the practicing of faith, you're always going to have opposition. It doesn't matter. You're going to have opposition. Well, opposition is just kind of like it's kind of like God pulling you back in His slingshot because there's going to come a time when the opposition is going to fail and you're going to be released to soar. Okay? Use your, and then the second thing, use your God-given authority to overcome the enemy in your life and in the life of others. Jesus used that authority. He used the authority to, to bring healing to the man with the withered hand and He used that authority to set Himself free. In other words, He exposed the Pharisees for who they were. And then here's something that we've learned, and I think this is very, very important for us to see. The anointing that is on your life is meant to flow, not stay dormant. I'm going to say it again. The anointing that is on your life is meant to flow, not to stay dormant. If you want God to use you, you're going to have to let Him flow through you. I've often said God will get it to you if He can get it through you. 
And that's in many different ways. That's anointing, that's in finances, that's in peace, that's in whatever. God will get it to you if He can get it through you. But the anointing that God places on your life was not meant for you to hoard. It was meant for you to become a conduit of the anointing so you can spread that anointing that God's placed on your life to affect change and bring hope to people that's around you. If we don't do this, then Christ is dead in vain. What did he die for? He didn't die just to make a good historical story. He died because he knew that the power that would come from the cross would be multiplied in the lives of the church, that he was one person who could only do so much, but if he allowed himself to be planted and become the first fruits of many resurrections that all of a sudden from his death, a church, the assembly of called out ones, the ecclesia would spring forth and he could allow God to position himself to be the head of the church while we became the body of the church, the conduits where the anointing flows by faith. Wow. Wow. What do you think would happen to West Pasco County if every last one of us walked out of here looking for a place to release the anointing this morning? Goodness gracious. So the anointing that's on your life is meant to flow, not lay dormant. What if Jesus would have said, there's too much opposition in this room. I think we'll just wait for another day. No, no, no. That man needed a miracle today. He needed a miracle now, so Jesus allowed that. And then the last thing is use your faith. Let's go ahead. The healing techniques that Jesus used was twofold. It required number one, obedience. Come on, Luke. All right, it required number one, obedience. I think I messed it up. Hallelujah. Maybe I did. No, that's it. There we go, yeah. All right, just leave it right there. And number two, it required an act of faith. Jesus told this man with the withered hand, He said, I want you to stand up. And He did it. What if He would have said, No, there's too many people in the room. What if He would have said, No, I'm, I'm shy. I'm shy. What if He would have said, Well, if Jesus wants to heal me, He can heal me right where I sit. There's no reason for me to have to get up and go up there and, and, and you know, put this out there in front of everybody. After all, everybody can see I have a withered hand. What if He would have said that? What if he would have said that? He didn't do that. Jesus said, rise up. And so he did. And so there was obedience. And then Jesus told him, he said, stretch forth your hand. And when he stretched forth his hand, that was obedience mixed with faith. Faith without works is dead. So let's just do, I've taught this to you over and over and over and over again. But it's time for just a little faith recap. This is how faith works. Number one, the Bible said faith comes how? Romans chapter 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, hearing the, you know, the imperative just comes, constantly comes. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The more words you hear, the more your faith is going to grow. And faith doesn't come from having heard. Faith doesn't come for going to hear. Faith comes from hearing. Right now, at this very moment, at this very in instant, according to the word of God, your faith is growing right now because you're hearing the Word of God. You're sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. I like preaching too, 
but I'll leave, I'll leave that wild, rambunctious preaching to the evangelist. I'm a pastor. I'm an apostle. I do apostolic work and help people start churches. And so that's the anointing of apostleship. So I'll leave that wild, rambunctious stuff to those that are evangelists. And that's wonderful and that's great. And we bring them in and I like them doing that. But I've got to stay in my lane. I'm a teacher of the Word. That means I'm, I'm a developer. I help you grow in God. I help you develop in your faith. And as I'm teaching you the Word of God like this, as I'm teaching you the Word, your faith is growing. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Bible said in Galatians 5 and 6 that faith works how? By love. Faith works by love. If the enemy is going to attack you, where is he going to attack you? In your love walk. Because he knows if he can get you locking horns with someone. He knows that if he can get you in conflict with someone, that he can shut down your faith. And if he can shut down your faith, there is no manifestation. And so he attacks your love walk. That's what he does. How do I overcome that? You walk in forgiveness. We'll talk about that in a moment. How is faith activated? Faith is activated by confession. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. Say, 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 three times, believe once. Say, saith, say, say, saith in that passage. Believe once. So we have whatever we say. He becomes the high priest of our profession. In other words, there could have been translated confession. So we speak out the Word of God. God attaches Himself to that Word. And when God attaches Himself to that Word, then the inner works of faith begin to work. We keep our spirit right. We keep our attitude right. Satan's going to attack us. We know the battle is coming. I taught you the circle of faith. How many times will the battle come? Every time you operate faith. I've taught you circle of faith. Right before experience, the Bible talks about tribulation. You'll go through tribulation. The enemy's going to attack you. He's going to attack your love walk. He's going to try to get you at odds with people. He's going to try to get you in argument with people. He's going to try to get you to hold grudges against people. He's going to work overtime to try to destroy you, to try to destroy your emotions. He wants you sitting around thinking about what they said to me and what they did to me and how they're trying to destroy me. And I can't believe they're doing that. He doesn't want you focusing on what God has given you through revelation. He doesn't want you focusing on life that comes from the Word of God. He wants you to focus on circumstances that are around you. You choose who wins. You choose. Faith works by love. Faith is activated by confession. Don't talk about what Sister Spookendock's been talking about about you. Just let her talk. You talk word. You talk word. Somebody asked me, they said, you're a word guy. I said, yes, I am. I said, I grew up in old time Pentecost. I grew up in the assemblies, the Pentecostal Church of God. Uh, for a little while there, we were oneness. And, you know, Daddy was, Daddy was a first generation Christian. He wanted to please God. He was trying to learn. And, and so, well, you know, we had exposure to a lot of things when I was a kid growing up. And so eventually I had to learn to, to make my own way theologically. And so, uh, so... You know, if you don't watch it, people come along and, and, and they'll try to confuse you. 
And people will say, well, you're a word guy. I said, yes, I am. I'm, I'm definitely a word guy. See, so we grew up in old-time Pentecost and all of that, and I came into the Church of God back in the 80s. My wife was Church of God, and I came back into the Church of God back in the 80s, and I've uh, you know, done a lot of work. Most of my work is done outside of the Church of God. Most of it's done in like independent ministries and organizations and things like that, so uh, all of that. But people say, well, well, well you're, you're a Word guy. How come you're a Word guy? Well, first of all, back in about the year 2000, we were going through a really difficult time in our life, in our marriage, and God united us with a guy who could teach us the Word of God. And we would sit there and he would teach. You think I teach long. We would sit right there where Mark and Nikki's at. We would sit there and sometimes we'd sit over here as he was teaching because he would want us to sit with him. And he would teach the Word of God every Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And I promise you it felt like 20 minutes. We were just sitting there and times I would just, I'd just cry. I'm like, oh, Oh, and it was like, it was like refreshment to my spirit. It was like food. And, and we would leave and we'd get in the car and we'd go down the road and we'd look at each other and we'd say, this is what we've been missing our whole life. We've been in the shouting churches. We've been in the rambunctious churches. We've been in where you didn't have church unless somebody shouted the hairpins out of the top of their head. Unless people were running circles and we thought, you know, that's what we thought. We thought, yeah, that God's really moved this morning, man. Sister so-and-so, she took three trips around the sanctuary. Man, God was moving. <laughs> Sister so-and-so would cuss you out on Tuesday, too, if you crossed her in Walmart. <laughs> she was speaking in tongues, but it was the wrong kind of tongues on Tuesday. I've gone to meddling. And we would look at each other, Donna and I would look at each other and we would just weep and we would cry and we would say, oh, it's what we've been, our, our spirit was just soaking it up. It was the Word. It was the Word. The practical application of the Word of God. And it changed my life. God spoke to me. I said, God, make me, Make me more effective in preaching. And the Lord said, quit hollering and start communicating. I said, okay. I don't know how. But I'll figure it out. And he helped me. And people will say, you're a word guy. How come? Here's the reason. Listen to me. Not one time, and I've been around some of them, not one time, did I ever hear Doc Summerall, Kenneth Copeland, Dad Hagen, John Osteen, T.L. Osborne? Not one time was I ever sitting at a table, in a meeting, a big dinner or something with them. Not one time did I hear them ever, ever, not even once, say a bad word about another minister. You know why? They were too focused on the Word. You want power in your life? Quit looking around like the Pharisees and seeing if you can find fault with what somebody's doing and get so, so word-soaked that you're just living in constant revelation. God just revealing Himself to you over and over and over and over and over again. I don't have anything at all Bad to say about Tim. Kim might. 
But I doubt it if you've ever been around them. And listen, we've been attacked by all kinds of people through the years. I'm saying that as an example to you, not for any other reason. I choose not to spend my life thinking about it. I bless them in the name of the Lord. I'm so forward focused. John shared with me, I had forgotten about it, but John shared with me last week that Dr. Sumrall was so against going backwards that he had two doors in his garage. He drove in, and when it come time for him to leave, the door in the front of the car would open and he would drive out. He did not want to look backwards. I think it was you that shared that with me. And he would get upset if you were with him and he and you had to back up. He's like, we don't go backwards. You need to look at your neighbor right now and say, get your head out of your history and get your head in your destiny. Come on. Get your head in your destiny. So many people. I got I to gotta quit. I know. I know. I have to quit. But there's one more thing here. Faith is activated by confession. Keep the confessions of your mouth right. Keep the word in your mouth. Not fault finding. Not gossiping. Not backbiting. Keep the word in your mouth. You can fill your mouth so full of the word that there's absolutely no way in the world that you have time to say anything bad about someone else. Okay? And then the last thing, when we're talking about faith, faith comes by hearing, faith works by love, faith is activated by confession, faith is perpetuated by forgiveness. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. Walk in forgiveness. Living a lifestyle of forgiveness keeps God at work in your life. It keeps God at work in your life. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.